Our scripture reading today is the last chapter of the book of Matthew. I notice it's, it's interesting how it wraps up everything in only 20 verses, but if you turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, starting with verse 1, if you're able, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know what you seek, who you seek. Sorry. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. It's all right. Thank you. It's pretty neat. We have read through the entire book of Matthew in the last nine months. What an exciting thing. And we'll be, uh, we'll be doing a short book next time, in a couple weeks, and then we'll, we'll dive into another uh, much longer uh, scripture reading. But I, I love the idea of reading through a book of the Bible for our scripture reading. Uh, it's, it's, been, it's been really exciting. Thank you, Mike, for, for all your help through that. Turn your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We'll be beginning in verse 2 and continuing down to chapter 6 and verse 4. We're continuing in our sermon series on meaningful membership, and um, there's a book down here in the front. Um, you can grab a copy of that book if you'd like, if you'd like to read it. This is the book that's been guiding this particular section. Um, as we've, been, as we've been studying scripture, that book has been extremely helpful in leading, leading this, uh, this section of this study of meaningful membership. It's a book called I Am a Church Member by Tom Rayner, who's the CEO 
uh, of Lifeway Christian Resources, um, where we get our Sunday school material from. As you're turning to Ephesians chapter 5, let me go ahead and let's open up in a word of prayer and start that way. Holy Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your scripture. Lord, we thank you that you give us a group to worship with. Lord, you've given us a local church that you've given us church membership as a way to reflect you and reflect your glory. Lord, I pray that this message would not be a message that would seem self-serving, but Lord, it would be one that glorifies you. Lord, I pray you would take me out of the picture. This is not about Justin. Lord, this is about you and your glory. I pray that we would be a church that would seek to bring you glory in what we do and how we act as church members. In your name, amen. amen. So my life growing up um, revolved around church. Um, I was nearly there every day. Um, in fact, you, that's actually very, very accurate because I went to the school that our church held as well. Our school had a, had, a, had a school program from kindergarten through 12th grade, and I was there at that school from 4th grade to 12th grade, so I was literally there five days a week at school uh, as a, in, in addition to regular services. But even outside of school, we were there for almost every service on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, children's and youth activities. And my parents, especially my dad, were always there too. My dad served as an usher. He helped with sound my, my, my mom and dad both were leaders in kids' programs on Wednesday nights. My dad often drove the church bus for school athletic games and youth group events. And throughout junior high and high school, I served as an usher during Sunday evening services. And through high school, I served as a leader in our kids' programs as well. We also regularly volunteered to clean the church on, on Saturdays for various months. And even then... There were many occasions where I would go with my dad to help work on the church van or to help work on the church's sound system or help with various other projects at church. Many Sunday nights were spent going early so my dad can be involved in men's meetings, which was the functional deacons meetings at our church where uh, all men over the age of 18 were able to come and help with decision making and such. Or after Sunday evening services, waiting for almost an hour afterwards for my dad to finish counting the offering. To this day, the church still uses the Pinewood Derby track that my dad made in our basement for our Awana Grand Prix. My parents even led a Bible study in our home uh, uh, outside of regular service days. So our life was very much revolved around church life. As I reflect on my time in church growing up, I'm, I'm convinced that my dad stands as the rock that kept our family involved. Now, if you think that that must have meant that my dad must have been one of the most influential in the church, people in the church, you'd be wrong. Well, if he's that involved, he must have been somebody of major importance. Not really. 
Our family often felt like outsiders at our church. We never felt part of the elite group at the church. My dad would often describe how good ideas would get dismissed during the men's meetings because certain power groups were not the ones that came up with those ideas. One time, we even had a staff person from the church come to our door complaining to my parents that my sister had gone to a friend's birthday party instead of a youth activity. That was a fun night. But even with the problems that my parents saw, even through all that trouble, even through hurt and disagreements, my parents continued to make our congregational life a priority. Even to this day, my parents faithfully serve in many of the same areas. Some of their ministries have changed, but they're still very active in serving. My parents instilled within me a deep, deep love for God's people. Much of who I am today, especially as a pastor, can be, directed to, can be directly related to things that my parents, especially my dad, demonstrated for me. I saw my dad lovingly and faithfully serve God in the local church through good times and bad. I can only remember a stretch in my own life of about six months to a year, and that's because my heart was not right with the Lord that uh, during my sophomore year of college that I was not involved in attending a church regularly. Now, my parents were not always perfect, but they raised a son who loves the church and that God has called to lead a church as a pastor. And they raised a daughter, my older sister, who with her husband and her eight children still faithfully attend and serve a local church. That right there is a legacy of incredible value. Now, I'm not saying this is some kind of plug-and-play model where if you do what my dad did, this is how your family is going to turn out. It's not the case. That's not real life. That's not how, how life works. In other words, I'm not saying that if you do the same thing my parents did that your kids will turn out like my sister and I did. In fact, my parents still get asked on a regular basis, what did you, what did you do? How did you do that? How did you get your kids to be like that? And what my parents say every single time, even though they were a great example from, for us, they would say that it's all because of the Lord. So even though this first part may have sound like it was kind of contradicting what I prayed, that I would be out of the way, really what this is, this is not me, this is not my parents. At the end of the day, this is the Lord, and he gets all the glory. But what I am saying is that my parents reflected a biblical concept of a healthy church member that will lead their families to be healthy church members. This morning, we'll look at our fifth pledge of meaningful membership is that I will lead my family to be healthy church members. We'll give three ways you can faithfully lead your family to be a healthy church member. One, pray together as a family for the church. Two, worship together as a family. And three, fall deeply in love with the bride of Christ. And we will repeat those, so don't feel like you missed your opportunity to put it in, the, in, the, in your handout. The scripture sometimes uses family language uh, to describe the relationship uh, uh, to God, uh, the relationship of the church to God and the church members to each other. In 1 John, believers are called children of God. We see numerous references to church members being called brothers and sisters. The first person of the Trinity is not only the Father, but also, as Jesus tells us in the model prayer, our Father. 
Ephesians 2 says that we are members of the household of God. In Matthew 12, Jesus describes his disciples as his family. The scripture also uses the metaphor of the body and citizens and many other metaphors to describe the church. So we cannot use the family metaphor exclusively, but we do get a glimpse of God's purpose for creating the family in relation to the church in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 6, verse 4. Let's read this passage together. And notice how in each turn, the Lord relates this family relationship to the relationship of the church to Christ. It says here, wives, submit to or respect your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Quoting Genesis chapter 2 there. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Therefore, let each one of you love his wife, and let the wife see that she respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now we see in this passage that the family dynamic is constantly related to the church and Christ and his relationship to the church. But look for a second, focus in here on verses 32 and 33. After describing the husband and wife relationship and how that relationship, how each of those elements of the relationship function best when they reflect Christ. Look at what he says in verse 32 and 33. Again, I think I mistake. I think that might be Gen- it's Genesis 1 or Genesis chapter 2 in uh, verse 31 there, where it quotes, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And look at verse 32. Paul then, commenting on this verse, explaining this verse here, says this, This mystery, this marriage mystery, this strange thing called marriage, is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. What this verse is telling us, what Paul is explaining to us, is that God created the husband-wife relationship not just for Adam, 
not just for us, but God created that relationship with the purpose, the primary purpose of depicting the relationship between Christ and the church. Jesus sacrificed himself for the church and gave himself up for her. He faithfully served the church with his very life. And because Christ has served the church and given his life for her, the church responds by submitting to Christ. Therefore, a godly husband will lead his wife by putting her needs above his own, sacrificing himself for her. And in response, the godly wife will lovingly respect her husband and follow his loving leadership. The same ideas are also shown in parenting. Just as a good parent will lead his family in the disciple and instruction of the Lord, a church ought to lead its members in the dis- dis- discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we have to remember when we think about these analogies in Scripture, they're giving us a shadow and reality relationship. The, the metaphor is the shadow. What the metaphor shows us is the reality. So when we think of our families, as this shows us here, when we think about the relationship of a husband and wife, when we think about parenting and children, when we think about families, we need to be careful not to flip the metaphor and say that God looked at the family and said, you know what, that's a good example of what the church is like. No, the other way around. God created families to show us what his relationship to the church is like. If you're married today, your husband-wife relationship is meant to the purpose of that marriage, is meant to reflect and show the glory of God and to show what Christ did for his, ch- for his church. Your marriage was not put together for your own selfish gain. Your marriage was not put together so that you could have your needs met. No, your marriage was put together so that God could be glorified. And so a picture of Jesus' relationship to his church could be shown clearly. We have to make sure that we get the metaphor correct. We, put, we don't put the cart before the horse, if you will. The metaphor is the family. The reality is God's relationship to his church. Tom Rainer comments about this passage. He says, this passage reminds us that just as we are supposed to sacrifice and love our families unconditionally, so are we to love those churches where God has placed us. Our family members are not perfect and neither are the members of the church. We are to find our joy in serving both our families and the church. We are further reminded of the importance of the family to the church. We are to encourage our family members to be faithful to the church. We should pray together as a family for our churches. Indeed, as we are, are to, indeed, as we are to strive to love our families more deeply, so should we exhort our family members to love the church more deeply. So then you might ask yourself, how in the world can I do that? How can I lead my family to love the church more? How can I, as a church member, lead my family to do this? How can I, as a, as a husband, as a parent, lead my family to love God and to love his people more? Well, first in your outline today, so you can pray together as a family for the church. 
pray together as a family for the church. We saw last week how important it is for our church to pray for our church leaders. Likewise, we must regularly pray for our church as a whole. What should we pray for? We should pray for spiritual protection, for protection from moral failure. We should pray for the preaching of the word. We should pray for the families of our church members. We should pray for encouragement. We should pray for physical strength for those who are serving. We should pray for courage. We should pray for discernment. We should pray for wisdom among the church leaders. And we should pray that our church will focus on serving outwardly and sharing the gospel regularly. This doesn't mean that we need to be blind to the problems of the church. You think, well, if I'm going to pray with my kids about the church, well, I can't tell them any of the bad stuff going on. I've got to protect them from that. I'm not saying that at all. In fact, again, as I mentioned, I, I saw some of the problems in my church growing up firsthand. But what's interesting about this is the way my family led this, the way my dad led us through this, is that no matter what, we still love them. Even if we disagree, we still show love. And we'll get back to that in just a second. We don't need to be blind to the problems of the church and its people in order to pray for them. We don't need to ignore people's faults if even, to pray for them. In fact, as you lead your family to pray for the church, you can talk to them about the problems, but in a way that leads them to love the people biblically and unconditionally. So let me ask you, are you leading your family to love their church? Are you leading them to love their church? Often, teaching your children to love their church begins by praying together as a family for the church where God has placed your family. Secondly, this morning, worship together as a family. Worship together as a family. As a church member, I am responsible for encouraging and leading my family to worship together in the church. If I'm married, I seek to include my spouse. If I'm a parent, I seek to include my children. My family must see my love for the church. This was certainly the case for my dad. I knew that my dad loved our church because I could see it firsthand. I could see the long nights he would spend working on projects for the church, the long nights we would go to the church in the middle of the night in Wisconsin, so it wasn't always 100 degrees outside. It would be freezing cold, and we'd go into a freezing cold, big, huge, cavernous church and be working on stuff till late into the night. I saw how much my dad loved our church. Worshiping and serving in the church for my dad was a priority. I know that this is true because he regularly brought me and my whole family with him. We were always there together. Even when I had my own car, it was expected that I would be there. I would drive my own car because I wanted to listen to my music on the way, right? Come on now. And if my friends wanted to do something afterwards, which we would do sometimes, we'd go and go to Pizza Hut and hang out after church and stuff like that. I had the freedom to be able to do that. But even when I had my own li my license, and being in youth ministry, usually that's the cutoff point. Nobody's going to come back after they get their driver's license. But even after I got my driver's license, 
I still faithfully served. I still faithfully went. Now, you might think, well, what about me? I don't, I, I don't have my, my spouse maybe is, is gone or maybe I'm not married, whatever the case is, may be. If you're single or a widow or widower and your children are out of the house and you have no immediate family to worship with, within the church, you need to know that there are still people watching. There are still people watching to see how you love the church. You are still an example to others. So even if you come every single week and you, have, you don't feel like anybody's watching or anybody cares or you feel like you come all alone, there are people that are watching how you love your church. Be encouraged. How you commit to and serve the local church will tell your family and those around you what you think of your relationship to the church. What is the message they're receiving? What is your life showing? What message are you giving to those around you about your relationship to the church? This is especially true when a church member has a family member who is not a Christian or is not a part of the church. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul encourages that the believing spouse should never take the initiative to leave the unbelieving spouse. And many other metaphors are given to describe, uh, excuse me, um, I turned to the wrong page there. Apologize about that. Why? Why should, the why should the believing spouse not take the initiative in leaving the unbelieving spouse? Why? Well, Paul te tells us that the believing spouse is a testimony of Christ to the unbelieving spouse and to any children in the family. If, you're say, if you sit here and you say, you know what, I'm the only one in my family. No one else is a believer. And it gets lonely. Let me tell you, God has you there in that situation for a reason because you are called to be a missionary to your family. 1 Corinthians 7.14 says, For the unbelieving husband is set apart for God by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is set apart by the husband. How, oh, otherwise, your children would be corrupt, but now they are set apart for God. So even if you're the only one in your family that's following Jesus, you're there for a reason. You're there to be a missionary to them. Just like a missionary who travels thousands of miles to tell the good news, you have a mission field from God to tell the good news in your own home. Your family is watching you closely. How you respond to your spouse or your children impacts your witness. How you love your church and those within the church affects your family. A godly spouse or parent or grandparent or great-grandparent can be a key factor in, unbelie in an unbelieving family member coming to Christ. How great is that? If you think, well, I, I don't have any family in my home anymore. I, I don't have anything else I can do. This message isn't for me. There is someone that God is calling you. There might be somebody in your family that does not know Jesus, and that is your mission field. And you may be, be a key factor and seeing them come to Christ. There's my family member right now. He heard me talking about him. <laughs> a godly spouse can be a key factor in their family members coming to Christ, and that godliness is often demonstrated by your love for the church. Thirdly this morning, we needed to break, I think. 
Number three this morning, fall deeply in love with the bride of Christ. Fall deeply in love with the bride of Christ. As a church member, I'm not merely to like my church or to serve my church well. I am to fall deeply in love with my church. As we saw in Ephesians 5, Christ is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. My commitment is to love that bride with an unwavering and unconditional love, just like Christ loves his bride with an unwavering and unconditional love. Think about this for a second on a kind of a negative spectrum. If you dislike your church, if you do not love your church where God has placed you, you are against Jesus. You are living in a way that is against Jesus. Not saying anything about me. I'm not talking, you have to love everything that I say and do. That's not what I'm talking about. Jesus Christ has bought the people within this building. If you are a believer here today, Jesus Christ has bought you with a price. And if you come to this building, you come and gather with this congregation, you say, well, I don't like that person, and I don't like that person, and I don't like that person. You are doing something. You are acting against Jesus. Jesus loved that person enough to die for them. How dare we think for a second that we can do otherwise? Moving forward, unconditional love is not always easy. Unconditional love is not always easy. Unconditional love is not an emotion. All right? Our, 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 our culture likes to tell us and show us that love is this fluttery feeling. I will tell you right now that that, that emotional fluttery feeling is almost always the selfish aspect of love. Not always, not completely, but a lot of times when I get that emotional response, I'm like, oh, you're just so great, right? It's because you did something for me, and that's what makes me feel great. No, it's not always. We can, we can have a sanctified vision of our marriage and see when somebody else does something better, but that, that comes from Jesus, right? That's something that comes because of Jesus. We can have an emotional response of love to our spouse when they are not serving us, but that's something that Jesus does in our lives. Unconditional love is not an emotion. There's an action. Unconditional love is not easy. That's why marriage is not easy. Unconditional love does not mean loving someone because they meet all my needs. In fact, such love, if you love someone only because they meet all your needs, that is a self-serving love. That is not unconditional love. That kind of love says that it's all about me and my needs. Unconditional love, however, means that I will continue to fall more deeply in love regardless of the response. Regardless of what happens to me, I'm going to continue to fall more deeply in love. It means that my love for the church will grow even as I may disagree with someone or encounter disagreeable people. I still will fall more deeply in love. This is why marriage is such a great analogy. Doesn't, doesn't marriage really point, point, uh, pull this picture together really well? If any of you, if you've been married for a long enough time, let me guess, uh, I'm sure none of you have ever fought with your spouse, right? 
never disagreed with them. Oh, Mike, sure, Mike, right? None of you have ever had any disagreements. No, of course. Part of marriage is that there are disagreements, there are fights, there are arguments. But what unconditional love says is that even though I'm really mad at you right now, I'm going to love you more. Even though I really don't want to, I'm still going to love you more. And the same is true of our relationship with the church, even when it frustrates us. Even when we have an event to serve the community and almost nobody shows up, we're still going to love the community that God brought us to serve. We're still going to love the church and the people that God has called us to be a part of. It's very easy, the easy route in marriage, the easy route in church life is to get discouraged and discontent and to just call quits. That's the easy route. The easiest thing in the world to do is to stop loving our church and to just leave. But that is not what God has called us to do. No, God has called us to have the same love for the church that he has for the church. Even when we are discouraged or discontent, we must remind ourselves that unconditional love is not always easy. But we must remember that, remember that unconditional love has already been demonstrated to us by Jesus. Even though it's going to be difficult, even though unconditional love for God and for, his, for God's people, and even for your spouse, will be difficult, we've already have a great example of what unconditional love looks like, and that's Jesus. He loves us, sins and all. Now, if you know, I don't know if, if you're like me, that's a big list. Jesus Christ, the perfect, holy Son of God, looked down on my life, a life of rebellion and sin. Ephesians chapter 2 says we were the very enemies of God. We were dead in our trespasses and sins and we smelled like it. We smelled like rotting flesh in the eyes of God. But even when we are dead in our trespasses and sins, Jesus Christ died for your sin and for mine sacrificed himself so that we could have a way to become in a relationship with him. Apart from that, it would be impossible. Apart from Christ's sacrifice, it would be impossible for us to be in a relationship with him. Apart from his sacrifice for us, it would be impossible to be unified with God. But because of Jesus and his sacrifice for us, we can have salvation. But he didn't stay dead either, did he? No, three days later, as our bulletin says, he rose from the dead. And as we read this morning in Matthew 28, Jesus did not stay dead. He rose from the dead, conquering sin and Satan and death and bringing us life. That's what Christ has done for you and for me. And that what Christ has done then is supposed to be reflected in our marriages, reflected in our homes, and reflected in the way we love and serve our churches. 
That's what God has called us to. Romans 5.8 says, But God proves his own love for us, that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. If you're thinking, well, how do, how do I know God loves me? Prove it. How do I know God loves me? We know because he showed us. Because he died for you. And he died for me. That's how we know God loves us. The church is a family. We have our own families as well, and some are healthier than others. The Bible recognizes the importance of the immediate family supporting and loving the church family, as we see here in Ephesians 5. The fifth pledge, as we will see in the moment, is a commitment to unite your family in love for your church. If your family members are believers who are a part of the church, then you should seek to pray together and worship together. If there, are unbelie- if there are unbelievers in your family, then you should seek to demonstrate a deep love for Christ's church. Such love can influence them and move them closer to Christ. No matter what your family situation, be assured that others are watching. How you love your church could have a significant spiritual impact on their lives. Let's move into our time of invitation. Uh, three areas of, of, of application I want to I drive home. First of all, as I just shared, it's called the gospel. It's called the good news. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took on humanity so that he could suffer. Sin is to miss the mark. The mark is God's holiness, God's perfection. Anything we do that does not hit the perfecting mark of God, of God's perfection, is called sin. It misses the mark. It's a lot of stuff. We call that sin. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took on humanity because there is no other way. That, that sin, that, that rebellion against God, deserves death. That is what God has said. This is what, 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 is, what, does, what that deserves is to die and spend eternity separated from God. That is what our sin deserves. But God was not willing that any should perish. Instead, what he did is he sent the son to take on humanity so that he could die the death that we deserved. So what he did is all of our sin, all of the death that we deserve, the wrath of God, the full measure of the wrath of God was poured out on Christ, drank to the last drop. So that he became, he took on the wrath of God for us. And thereby giving us access to the Father. And then he rose from the dead so that we could be united in true life with him forever. I mean, I want to tell you today, if you, if you do not know Jesus as your Savior, if you do not have a relationship with him, if you have not trusted this sacrifice and resurrection for your own personal salvation... Would you believe in him today? Would you trust him today? There's a number of ways you can do that. You can pray in your seat and just tell Jesus what you're thinking. Just tell Jesus that you trust him for your salvation. You can come to me and talk to me and I'd love to share with you how you can know for sure that you have a relationship with Jesus and that you can have life with him forever. 
You can, call, you can talk, talk to me after the service. I'd love to sit with you and talk with you for as long as you need. Second area of, of, of application and invitation today, we're focusing on meaningful membership. Do you need to become a member of a church? We've seen over the last, this is week 10 of this series now. We've seen over these last 10 weeks about the importance of, of, what, of, of biblical, healthy church membership and what God's plan is for us to be involved with the community of one another's to serve and love together in, with, for the gospel. Do you need to become a member of this church or of maybe some other church? Maybe this is not where you, where you live and you need to become a part of a congregation where you do live. Do you need to become a church member? Same thing. Come to me, talk to me. I'd love to share with you how you can become a church member here at First Baptist Gordon. You can talk to me after the service, however you want to take care of that. I'd love to share with you how you can become a member of our church. If you are a member of our church, here's our third area of application. Will you take the fifth pledge? Will you take the fifth pledge of being a healthy church member? Fifth pledge is there in your, in your handout, and it says this, I am a church member. I will lead my family to be healthy members of this church as well. We will pray together for our church. We will worship together in our church. We will serve together in our church. And we will ask Christ to help us fall deeper in love with this church because he gave his life for her. Will you take that pledge? Maybe you need to use these steps. We might call it an altar. You can use these steps as a place to pray and to, 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 to firm that up with the Lord. You can sit in your own seat and, and spend time with the Lord in prayer there. But will you take this pledge? And maybe what you need to do is, is draw a line on the bottom of your page and sign and date it if you want to make that pledge. Maybe you just want to have that be between you and the Lord. However you want to take care of that, will you make that pledge this morning? Let's close our time in a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you for, for the gift of the family relationship that is a mere reflection and oftentimes, Lord, a poor reflection of your relationship with the church. I pray, God, that not only will you help us build strong families, Lord, not only that will you help us to love our spouse as you loved us, not only will you help us to raise our children in the way that you seek to raise us, but God, I pray that we would not stop with the metaphor, but Lord, we would seek out the reality. That, Lord, we as a church, that we would love one another as you've called us to, be, to love one another. That we would pray for this church. That we would worship together as a family. That, Lord, we would, as we, as we grow healthier families, Lord, that we would help those, our families, to be healthy church members as well. Lord, I pray you would give us the strength and the courage to do this. Lord, give us the wisdom to do this. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to respond as you would have us respond today. In your name, amen.